Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You, and got a great program lined up today. And if you want to follow Israel Team, you can follow Israel Team Advocates on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to our webpage, our website, israelteam.org. And we have all the programs in podcast format uh, that are archived there. You can listen to past programs. If you want to follow my writing on um, the issue of the land of Israel and anti-Semitism and replacement theology, you can uh, follow me at the Times of Israel. I write a weekly article for the Times of Israel. And just uh, Google my name, Aaron David, and then my last name is F as in Frank, R-U-H, F-R-U-H, and then uh, type in the Times of Israel and you'll uh, just be drawn right to my my blog posts that are archived there. You can also follow me, uh, Aaron David Free, at the Jerusalem Post. And so we're looking at uh, what the New Testament uh, writers, who were Jewish, by the way, said about the land, specifically about the land of Israel. And we started uh, this discussion last week with a quote from Dr. Gary Burge, who is probably the leading theologian leading the charge against the right of the Jewish people to live in the land of Israel. And he rejects the Abrahamic covenant, says it's just a metaphorical kind of uh, ethereal covenant, but it's it's been broken, which we know from Scripture that God never breaks a covenant. But here's what Gary Burge says. He says this, at no point do the earliest Christians view the Holy Land as a locus of divine activity to which the people of the Roman Empire must be drawn. They do not promote the Holy Land either for the Jew or for the Christian as vital aspect of faith. The early Christians possessed no territorial theology. Early Christian preaching is utterly uninterested in a Jewish eschatology devoted to the restoration of the land of Israel. The kingdom of Christ began in Judea and is historically anchored there, but it is not tethered to a political realization of that kingdom in the Holy Land. So Dr. Burge, who was a professor at my alma mater, Wheaton Graduate School, for 15 years, fomenting against uh, the state of Israel and the Jewish people. He's now left there. He's at uh, Calvin College in, in Michigan. And so is he telling the truth here, that nowhere in the New Testament does it speak about the land of Israel? And for my book, I read this quote last week, but I'll read it again from my book with Coach Bill McCartney of Promise Keepers, Two Minute Warning. Uh, Gary Bird says this, the most important critique And here I think we discover the Achilles heel is that Christian Zionism is committed to what I term a territorial religion. It assumes that God's interests are focused on a land, a locale, and a place. So what he's saying here is that God is no longer interested in the land of Israel. He's no longer interested in the land, a locale, and a place. And then he says, and this is from his book, Whose Land, Whose Promise, where he questions uh, God's covenant with Abraham says, the answer is not a matter of pointing to the promises of Abraham, identifying modern Israel and 
as to heirs to heirs of the promises and then theologically justifying the Israeli land claim. On the contrary, Christian theology demands that the true recipients of these promises will be found in the Christian church. Perhaps the church alone receives these promises. And then he quotes from John 15, verse 6, which was a scripture traditionally used during the Inquisition to burn Jews and and burn their synagogues. He says this, The people of Israel cannot claim to be planted as vines in the land. They cannot be rooted in the vineyard unless first they are grafted into Jesus. Branches that attempt living in the land, the vineyard, which refuse to be attached to Jesus, will be cast out and burned. So what he's saying is if Israeli Jews do not convert to Christianity, they're good for nothing and should be cast in the fire and burn. And you would say, well, that's murderous language, and it is. But in fact, uh, a book of this nature won the award of merit from the flagship publication of evangelicalism, Christianity Today. And to me, that speaks volumes about where American Christianity is headed in these days. So evangelicalism today in America is embracing this uh, heresy of replacement theology. And there's an evangelical organization that's called Christ at the Checkpoint. You can just Google that, look it up, see what their um, their theology, theology is. In their manifesto, these are evangelical leaders from all over the globe. In their manifesto, they say racial ethnicity alone does not guarantee the benefits of the Abrahamic covenant. So what they're talking about is Galatians 3, where Paul says all the blessings of Abraham have come upon the Gentiles who believe in Christ. And that, yes, is true. Uh, but but it, that does not supersede, it does not replace God's divine call on the Jewish people. And so God does not play favorites. He loves all the nations of the world just the same. He doesn't play favorites, and and it says that in Deuteronomy. God is no respecter of persons. But God does make distinctions. He's made a distinction between light and darkness, the holy and the common. He's made a distinction between male and female, and he's made a distinction between Israel and the nations. So yes, the Jewish people, descendant from Abraham, blood descendants, uh, that land belongs to them according to the Abrahamic covenant. Another point of their manifesto says, for Palestinian Christians, the occupation is the core issue of the conflict, and that's true. It's They are saying that the Jewish people are illegally occupying the land of Israel, and it's time for them to leave. And so all this jumping through theological hoops, cherry-picking the scriptures, uh, it's all to deny that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people or the land belongs to them. And evangelical Christian college campuses, this theology is sweeping our campuses like wildfire. Anti-Judaism is also growing within churches. Andy Stanley pastor of one of America's largest church, uh, has recently said that it's time to unhitch from all Jewish values, uh, Jewish scriptures, um, and Christianity needs to depart from anything Judaic and from the Old Testament as well. And basically he's embracing Marsonianism. Marsonian was a second century heretic who had an issue with Jews, and he rejected everything Jewish from the scriptures. And whenever the church embraces replacement theology, whenever it embraces Marsonianism, it never goes well for Jews. Think of the Holocaust. 
And during the Holocaust, the church in Germany, there were three strains. There was the German nationalistic Christians that embraced Hitler, uh, which was the largest church. Then there was, secondly was the smaller church, which was the confessing church. Their desire was to maintain the status quo, but they refused to help Jews in the Holocaust. And then third, there was a small remnant of authentic Christians, and I believe those listening to this program today, I believe you're listening because you're authentic. And those are Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth and Martin Niemöller, who refused to sign the documents of the confessing church because they refused to help Jews. And so today in America, those three streams are still here. There's America's either moving in the Christian world towards a Christian nationalism or an anti-Israelism and anti-Judaism. And then there's a third stream. It's a small remnant of Christians who respect and honor the Jewish people and respect uh, God's statement that he is the God of Israel and that he's given this land to Abraham and his blood descendants through Isaac. So you might be asking, why is this heresy of replacement theology being embraced today by so many evangelical leaders? Well, Pascal said, men never do evil so completely as when they do it from a religious conviction. Proverbs 6.34 says, for jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not have compassion in the day of vengeance. So heresy and false teaching, and I read this several years ago, I, I forget where I read it, if I could quote it, I would, but it's, it's a great thought. Heresy and false teaching usually begin with a wound or offense. And when you interpret the Bible from a wounded spirit, that is where heresy comes from. And heresy also starts with those desiring self-importance. Romans sixteen seventeen says, Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Turn away from them, for such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so replacement theology has roots in jealousy, yes, an offense that has resulted in a wound. It also has roots in self-gratification and arrogance for those wanting uh, to fill their appetite with the need of attention. Romans eleven eighteen says, Don't be arrogant towards the branches. And Paul is warning the Gentile Christians not to be arrogant uh, towards their Jewish elder brothers and sisters, towards the branches um, of their faith. And arrogant, I look up the word, and it's the Greek word katakeo, and it means to glory, rejoice against, or to exult over. And interestingly, the same word for boastful arrogance is found in James 2.13. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not katakeo, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So James is talking to Christians here. And he's saying, don't boast, don't lie against the truth. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there will be disorder in every vile practice. And Paul is talking to Gentile Christians in Romans 11, warning them against uh, catechia, warning them against boastful jealousy and arrogance towards their Jewish fathers of the faith. And so for one that deals with this issue every day of my life, I've thought a long time about what causes people, what causes theologians to veer so far away from biblical truth to embrace the theology of supersessionism, which is the church has superseded Israel. And the only way I can explain those who are jealous towards the Jewish people and proclaim that they've ever been forever been rejected by God and that now the church alone receives these promises. The only way they can come to that, I believe, it's total demonic, is what James says. It's boasting against the truth of God and against the God who calls himself the God of Israel. I, I believe there is a satanic seed of anger within those who proclaim replacement theology and supersessionism. And so for theologians past and present to dismiss God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants through Isaac, they have to boast and lie against the truth. And their logic is, according to James, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's based on a jealousy and selfish ambition and results in disorder and every evil practice. And this gentleman, Gary Burge, who taught at Wheaton College, he was a regular speaker at one of America's largest churches. And the pastor and his wife, sadly, embraced replacement theology and the supersessionism of Gary Burge and his words that if Jews don't convert to Christianity, they should be cast into the fires and burned. Well, what happened was, and when you trace these things and you follow this, uh, you follow it out when a false doctrine and a false heresy begins to be taught in a church and a pastor and his wife embrace it. According to James, there's going to be disorder and every evil work. And so what's happened to that church, and I won't name it by name, but over the last several years, uh, the pastor was found uh, to be um, immoral in some of his practices. The co-founder as well found to be immoral and uh, the church crumbled and it's rebuilding today but it crumbled for a long time and it's not where it used to be for certain but my my belief is what happened was they began to embrace uh, the doctrine of a false teacher Gary Burge who is fomenting against the Jewish people and the land of Israel the church embraced it and as a result, the church crumbled in ruins. So it's very important that everyone listening today, you're not naive. And when things come down the pike like this, false heresy declaring that God has rejected the Jews, uh, you need to understand what, what is really happening. So we'll catch you on the other side after the break. Hello, I'm Aaron Free, president of Israel Team Advocates. Israel Team is standing in the gap for the Jewish people in a time of growing anti-Semitism in America. And there are many forces, even within Christianity, that want to divide the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. There has to be those who proclaim the truth about Israel in a time when nations are calling for her demise. 
Our organization works on college campuses where anti-Israelism is in vogue, especially on evangelical college campuses. Evangelical anti-Israel groups highly financed by George Soros and his Open Society organization are pushing evangelical millennials towards the abyss of anti-Semitism, and they are succeeding. One such group, the Telos Group, is funding all expense-paid trips for young pastors and evangelical college students to Israel where they feed them live about the Jewish people and the land, and they come home anti-Israel. In just the last four years, evangelical young people have cut their support in half for Israel. In a survey in 2018, 69% of evangelical young people said they supported the Jewish people. A new survey in 2021 found that only 33% of evangelical young people support the state of Israel. So if we don't push back against the growing anti-Israelism within evangelical movement, evangelicalism could be anti-Israel within just a few short years. I'm asking you to help Israel team in this fight. I'm asking you to stand with us as we stand for God's covenant with Abraham and the land and the great nation that God has building in Israel. Will you give to Israel Team today? And there's two ways you can give. Go to our website, israelteam.org, to donate section, and you can give securely online. Be sure to give us your mailing address so that we can send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt. You can also mail your donation to Israel Team. Find our address on our website, israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel and You. And we're talking about the heresy of replacement theology. I talked to a young conservative pastor recently from a denomination that's being split in two in America today. One of the main reasons for the split is the issue over Israel. Uh, Part of this denomination, the liberal wing, they're driving the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement against the Jewish people living in the land of Israel. They're calling for the division of God's land. And as a result, disorder has overcome this denomination. And this young minister told me when I go to the conferences for our church, our denomination, there's a gospel being preached other than the gospel in the New Testament. And uh, he says, I don't understand where it's going. But again, what James says, where, where when you begin to practice a lie, then disorder uh, overtakes you. And um, in Romans 9, looking at the New Testament, Romans 9, 3, and 4, Paul says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. That's all in the present tense. So for Gary Burge to say, All the Israelites have been totally rejected. The land promise is rejected. The Abrahamic covenant is rejected. Paul here is saying all the promises, and that includes the land promise and the peoplehood promise that God will, in Genesis 12, God will make the Jewish people a great nation, and he's going to bring them into their own land. Paul says those promises are still in effect, present tense. So for someone to say those promises have been rejected, uh, they have embraced a heresy. Uh, Franklin Littell, who is one of my heroes of the faith, um, he was one during... After World War II, he went into Nazi Germany, and he was tasked with denazifying evangelical Christians. And he says, the cornerstone of Christian anti-Semitism is the superseding or displacement myth. That's what we would call replacement theology, which already rings with the genocidal note. 
This is the myth that the mission of the Jewish people was finished with the coming of Jesus Christ, that the old Israel was written off with the appearance of the new Israel, to teach that a people's mission in God's providence is finished, that they have been relegated to the limbo of history, has murderous implications, which murderers will in time spell out. And so that is so true that whenever the replacement myth begins to be taught, it never goes well for the Jewish people. And so Jesus himself in Matthew 19, 28, he doesn't seem to indicate that the Jewish people are forgotten. He says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, speaking to the Jews, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jesus prescribed the continuation of Jewish practices, alms, prayer, and fasting in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. And this would go against what Andy Stanley is teaching, that we need to disconnect from all Jewish values and all Jewish scriptures. Jesus did nothing of the kind. He was saying embrace these Jewish practices of alms, prayer, and fasting. And uh, the future of Israel is not replaced, according to Jesus in Matthew 19.28, but the Jews will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the new world. And so there's references all through the New Testament as Jerusalem being the holy city. In the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4.5, the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, Matthew 27.53. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city. And so time and time again in the scriptures, there is a reference to the land of Israel. This is a quote from my dear friend, Dr. Jerry McDermott, from his book, Israel Matters. And I would encourage you uh, to get this book. It's a, it's a small paperback. It'll, I gave it to a friend of mine the other day that's really curious about uh, studying what, what God says about the land in these days and the Jewish people. And he called me up afterwards. He said, I read the book. I couldn't put it down, Israel Matters by Dr. Gerald McDermott. And um, it answered every question that I've ever had about the land of Israel. Here's what Jerry says in uh, his book, Israel Matters, on page 15 and following. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Israel that said two things. I will be your God and you will be my people and all the nations will be blessed through you. And I will give you a land. The land was central to the covenant so that the people and the land were always connected. Even when the people were not living in the land, Before coming to the land, the people lived with the promise of the land, waiting for the day when God would bring them to it. When they were driven off the land into exile, they dreamed of the day when they would return. In the long 2,000 years since the destruction of Jerusalem, a remnant has always lived in the land, and Jews around the world prayed for the day when they would control the land once again. People and land were seen by Scripture to be as integral to each other as a soul and body, uh, just as a death temporarily separates soul and body, which await their eventual reunion. Separation of the people of Israel from the land of Israel has always been a time of waiting for restoration. But most Christians, according to Jerry, he says this, most Christians do not understand this. They do not see why the land of Israel might be significant 
to the people of Israel. They think Jesus' universal kingdom must cancel out the importance of any particular land. They mistranslate the beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. By rendering it, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Many Christians think, and this is on page 29 of Israel Matters, many Christians think the New Testament authors are focused not on the tiny land of Israel, but on all the planet Earth. For support, they quote Jesus' beatitude in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Yet more and more scholars are recognizing that a better translation of this verse is Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Matthew was no doubt translating into Greek the Hebrew in Psalm 37, 11, where it is universally recognized that the Hebrew aretz refers to the land of Israel. In fact, four of other verses in Psalm 37 repeat the phrase inherit Eretz or inherit the land with the clear meaning of the land of Israel. The implication was that Jesus' disciples would be able to enjoy the land of Israel in the area in the era that describes later in the same gospel as the renewal of all things in Matthew 19, 28. So Jesus was quoting from Psalm 37 in that beatitude when he said, the meek will inherit the land. And so for Gary Burge and others to say, um, Jewish people don't inherit the land, the land is no longer important uh, to God, is absolute total fabrication of the truth of the scripture. Jesus in, in Matthew 23, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See your houses left you desolate. And that's true. What happened was the Jews were driven out by the Romans. But then Jesus says in uh, the next verse, verse 39, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch Atah Hashem Adonai. I'll say it again. Baruch Atah Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's speaking there to Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, you will not see me again until I hear you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I, I believe here when Jesus is talking about gathering the Jewish people as a hen gathers her young. He's really quoting Isaiah 54, which is my favorite Bible passage. Single barren woman who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Fear not, you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood will you remember no more. Verse 6, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. So isn't the grace of God something we all depend on? And so what Gary Burge and others do is they go through the Old Testament and they find scriptures like this for a brief 
you know, I've, I've cast you off. But they don't quote the second part of the verse. And, and I'll show you next week, verse after verse after verse, that Gary Burge takes out of context. He'll quote the first half about Israel being cast out of the land, but he doesn't quote the second half where God says, in latter days, I will bring you back. So we all depend on God's grace when we, when we sin, when we make mistakes. Yes, uh, God brings us under a time of correction and judgment. But in the end, as we follow him, his grace and his mercy gathers us and brings us back once again. So we'll see you next time on Israel and You.